0: How do I charge a car? Can I charge
1: it in the rain? How
0: far can I drive? Electric car? What's a power grid? Is
1: V2G possible?
0: What is V2G? Do I get free parking for my EV?
2: Hello everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue, the podcast about the electric mobility revolution and new energy economy as seen from our perspective out here in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, Communications Director at Electric Mobility Charging Services Provider Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. In today's episode, it's all about energy. It's been a dirty, coal-hungry business for a long time, but the climate crisis is very real. Do the largest European energy generators feel the need to decarbonize? If so, how? And what do they think about electric vehicles? Are they upstarts or opportunities? We'll cover all this and more with some leading experts in this episode, so buckle up, get into echo mode, and enjoy the ride. It's been longer than we meant it to be since our last episode, but it's been a very active few weeks. Work at Greenway has been very, very busy. We now have 186 charging stations in operation in Poland and Slovakia, AC, DC, highway, shopping center, hotel, you name it. So that's been keeping us going. In the meantime, we have recorded a bunch of great interviews, though. We can't wait to share them with you in upcoming episodes. But right now, today, it is the end of June, and it is hot in this part of the world. It's literally 36 degrees Celsius, that's almost 97 degrees Fahrenheit for those of you listening in the States, right here today. And so there's no place I'd rather be right now than this air-conditioned recording studio. But I know that there are a number of harmful effects that come from this air conditioning, from producing greenhouse gases to pushing heat outdoors to using electricity whose impact on the environment ranges considerably depending on how that energy was generated. And this is a topic that I carry in the back of my mind all the time, because now working in the electric vehicle space, we get this question a lot. I mean, who in our business hasn't heard some version of this point?
1: Where does the electricity come from? If the energy used to generate it isn't clean, then EVs aren't any better for the environment than gas-powered cars.
2: Okay. on the one hand, it's a very valid point. Where the energy comes from matters a lot. And if the energy comes from, say, coal, it'll still be very polluting, especially where it's burned. And the overall transition to a cleaner future requires that we electrify as many segments as possible and increasingly generate that electricity from carbon-free sources. On the other hand, though, this is a line of argument that is often used to discredit electric vehicles overall and distract attention away from the environmental benefits that they do bring. And one of those benefits, most importantly, is the ability to be powered by increasingly clean fuel. So, is the energy mix actually becoming carbon-free, and if so, how and where is that happening?
0: Electric industry is going through the radical transformation we To go
2: deeper on this question and many others, actually, Electric Avenue went to Florence, Italy, to attend the Euroelectric Power Summit, the annual conference of Europe's electricity generators, and find the answers directly from the CEOs of Europe's leading energy producers. For those of you who don't know. Euroelectric is the Brussels-based industry association for the European electricity industry. They produce a lot of great information related to electricity generation and grid operations and other related topics. Euroelectric also represents the sector in public affairs, especially regarding EU policymaking. Really importantly, Euroelectric lists carbon neutrality as a priority of the sector, which, if you think about it, is huge. We've had reps from the Euroelectric on this podcast before, but for the first time, we're going to go to their shindig.
0: Spoiler alert, we were
2: very impressed with what we heard. But don't take it from me. Here's the CEO of one of Europe's largest energy generators, Vattenfall, from Sweden. Vattenfall operates in five countries and serves almost 700,000 electricity customers and over 2 million heat customers. For most of its history, Vattenfall has produced energy from lignite and hard coal, which is very plentiful in the region. But it produces upward of 80 million tons of CO2 a year. But all that is changing, as you'll hear in a moment.
1: Yeah, fossil-free Fossil-free sorry. <laughs> yeah, true. Not nice. Just yeah. a way to, of expressing no, ourselves. No, yeah.
2: yep. Vattenfall yep. CEO, Magnus it's Hall, has important. also recently just yeah. become the new president of Euroelectric, making him one of the most influential men in energy in Europe today. And now, he's talking with one of the most influential little podcasts in energy and mobility if we don't see so ourselves. We caught up with him right after he took the helm of your electric. Um, you have a commitment to fossil-free living within one generation. Please explain how that's going to happen.
1: Well, first of all, let me explain why we talk about the generation, because it's when the kids who are born today get their kids, and we really think it's a question about the next generation and the commitment to the next generation. Uh, we don't want them to worry about that. But if we look at ourselves, we do it along You know, several lines. One line is to make sure that we become fossil free in our own energy production. And we have a lot of heat today, which is mainly based on coal and gas, which we have to find a replacement for. That is a big challenge and we're working on electrification, we're working on third party sources, more waste incineration and lots of different things that we're trying then over time to replace the fossil base on. But then we're also working in electrification transportation. Two lines you can say, one is to create charging infrastructure for the uh, regular e-mobility, the regular cars, but then we're also working on uh, sort of for the truck side. We have an e-road, we call it, where you can actually take electricity out of the road and you can charge at the same time, with we believe that for lorries it might look different that you want to charge while you're driving in certain points at least the long distances technically how does uh, that happen well it happens that in this one you can have an overhead line like a train or mm-hmm. you can have this one it's actually putting um receiver or whatever you call it mm-hmm. down into a, a train mm-hmm. underground and then it receives its electricity and it can run okay. you know it's flexible but it runs with a lorry mm-hmm. and, and so it's then an you can charge line really yeah it's like an okay, electrical rail expensive. in the ground mm-hmm. and of course fully protected from yeah, people sure. not coming in there so that is one. And then, of course, we are working doing a lot in industry mm-hmm. because we are traditionally Vattenfall has a good cooperation with the industry, mainly in Sweden. And I can say also the reason why this has come up as a big thing for us is also that the Swedish energy system doesn't emit any CO2. Mm-hmm. But we still have a CO2 issue in Sweden. And then we looked into how can we participate in solving those issues, not in our own backyard, but delivering it to our customers. And there we have, for instance, uh, now we're preparing fossil-free steel together with a mining company and a steel company, I think is well known. We're looking at how we can reduce CO2 emissions from cement production, how we can reduce CO2. We can actually, where you can use hydrogen, and all these are hydrogen-based technologies, where you can actually take uh, renewable material, turn it into traditional diesel fuel, and then you use fossil-free hydrogen as one of the parts that you take into a refinery and crack it. Mm-hmm. So we think there, you know, for us do new business on that side, those three areas, heating, transportation, and, and industry, is a great complement to ourselves also solving our own problem. And we see immense business opportunities in this.
2: So you're a very unique perspective in the sense of being an energy generator, but mm-hmm. also now, as you said, operating your own sort of electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Yes, yes. I'll talk briefly a little more about yeah. that yeah. side. How do you envision the whole electric vehicle business then from your perspective?
1: Well, I think it's much too early to say what it will actually look like and where we will earn our money. Uh, we think that the business model is you know, it might change over time because there are so many operators in there and I think it's a, sort of a new ground that we're breaking. And what we're doing is trying to make an as open system as possible for charging. We're not engaging in fast charging, not very much. We have an agreement with McDonald's in the Netherlands where we are installing fast <laughs> chargers because that's where you can really use it, you know, yeah, you yeah. take it something to eat or something. But otherwise we are uh, applying to offices, to official buildings, also to homes. And then you connect them to a system, which we want to be an open system, so that it could be roamed, that other, you know, operators can also take their business on them. But we then take a fee for the administration. That's how we see ourselves as a charge point. I don't know, call it operator. I'm not 100. Yeah, you can call it differently. But what is the end game of this? We know it's going to happen. We know it's also going to be connection to our customers, of course. On the retail side, we want to make that connection. It's a little bit now a trial and error and see to where it really goes. But we are continuing to invest because we do believe that around the corner, this is a business where we want to be part of uh, as it looks. And my last question is about, you know, you have all of these electric vehicles, whether it's just in Sweden or whether it's yep.
2: European-wide or even worldwide, which are now going to have batteries. In it. Yes. A lot of the capacity of these batteries... is 70 under-
1: kilowatt hours like
2: that. Yeah. yeah, and underutilized. Yes, most absolutely. Most people most days. And so yep. there is this very, very large amount of distributed absolutely. energy Yeah. Uh, is that an opportunity? Is it a problem? No, it, no think I think it's a that? huge
1: opportunity. I think, uh, you know, that's probably one of the charging or batteries that you have on scale, because people really pay for them for another purpose than storage purpose as such. I think they can become a real interesting issue in balancing the system, helping you, you know. And we can use that, we can become an aggregator of d- lots of different batteries. You can sell that service to the market and you will offer an opportunity for your customers then to be participating in that. The issue is that we have to get uh, car manufacturers on board because they, they, how do you you know, actually wear and tear on the battery if you do this? Uh, you have to make standards about how you communicate and that you can take it off. We are working on this vehicle to grid thing as well, of course. But we see it as a natural development. And you can see also when you talk to some of the car makers that they suddenly realize, oops, you know, we are, we're really becoming part of the energy system, not only delivering a service of the car and transportation, we're really doing something else. And there you also see other you know, companies making new, mm-hmm. looking into this from new angles mm-hmm. than before. So let's see where it goes. But uh, I think it's a very good development that we see ahead of us.
2: Thank you very much. That was Magnus Hall speaking to me in Florence at the Conference of European Electricity Producers. There were some staggering statements made in that interview, if you think about it, not the least of which was that a leading energy CEO was talking openly about the need to go fossil-free, which frankly is not something you would have heard a few years ago. And it represents a sea change in the industry, and a very positive one. Also talking openly about getting into the electrical vehicle business. So, I mean, one thing that's so fascinating about electric vehicles in this space is that they seem to be bringing together a number of otherwise distinct industries, automotive, energy, both generation and infrastructure, and digital companies. Each of these industries is distinct, but they are finding themselves overlapping and working together more and more, especially as it comes to electric vehicles. So we've just heard an energy CEO talking about electric vehicles. Now let's go find an Electric Vehicle World CEO to hear his take. I have just the right person in mind, too. Let's see if we can find him here. Today, we're going to be sharing our perspective from Florence, Italy. And I'm here with co host Peter Badik at Your Electric Summit. Hi, Peter. Hi, Aaron. Hi. So, we've been in panels, roundtables, and other discussions all day long. What are you
0: thinking after today? For us, is a kind of a special conference because it's not dedicated only to electric vehicles, but rather talk about much broader topic, which is the uh, electricity and electricity generation, and how the electricity to our vehicles will be generated and distributed. But in general, it's very important for us to be here because uh, it's uh, one of the questions which we receive all the time and it's very valid question, where we get the energy to drive all the electric cars. It should be renewable, it should be uh, cheap, it should be available, it should not threaten the energy system. So these are very important questions which touch our industry as well. Therefore we are here, listen and trying to contribute.
2: That's true. I mean, the types of people who own EVs now really are the type of people who also care where their electricity comes from. I agree, we hear that question all the time. So what have we learned here at the Air Electric Summit today?
0: I think probably the most important thing which I observe here is, for the first time, seeing on such a big conference talking uh, people from the energy sector about two markets. One is the energy generation, and second is the flexibility market. Mm-hmm. So it's really thinking about in two things. One is to generate electrons and uh, do it in very efficient way and it seems that uh, the renewables become probably the cheapest source of energy generation so the cheapest way how to get the electrons is extensively the renewables on the other side we need to provide a flexibility to the system to be able to integrate those renewables and as well to do it in an effective way so
2: yeah actually let's just step back for a second and start at the beginning I mean the companies represented here did not necessarily care where the energy came from for it was not on the agenda this issue of renewables renewables, renewables. And the morning started off with one of the loudest declarations from multiple speakers, the heads of some of the largest utilities in Europe, talking about we will deliver on fossil fuel-free energy by 2035, 2040, 2050. It was a powerful statement at the opening
0: Yes, it is, and I think it's driven by two things. One is the regulation and just their responsibility to make the world cleaner. And we, I think, everybody understands now much more what a climate change means and how important it is to fight against it. But there is another aspect of it, and that I think these big companies understand already. It could be a business, and that's very important to understand, especially in our part of uh, Europe, in Central and Eastern Europe. So we need to do a mind shift by regulators, by big major managers in uh, utility companies. This is extreme opportunity for us.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the speakers, the head of Vattenfall, the head of Vestas, the head of NL, I mean, these are not small players in the industries. And they're talking about somewhere between 20 to 40 percent of the energy that is coming from renewables in either the countries that they operate in or you know even from their own mixes. Integrate renewables is becoming very, very cost competitive. And for them, it might even be the more efficient thing to do in the not too distant future. And they're really moving forward in that direction. Whereas you made a comment to me earlier today that in Central Eastern Europe, these are still considered alternative fuels. And for a lot of the majors here, they're not considered alternative fuels anymore at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. This is not an alternative. This is a mainstream. This is probably the main outcome of all these conferences recent years. Another angle is that the energy conference is still much more about the consumers. So it is not only about those who produce and distribute, but as well how we are going to integrate the consumers among them as well, the EV users. And this is going to be extremely important uh, customers, either on the side of the one single owner and have an electric vehicle somewhere in a garage. But uh, for example, as well from the perspective of companies like Greenway, who integrate the public infrastructure and connect many, many electric vehicles at once. So the industry is seeing that they need to have a 360 degree view on it. So it's not only about generation, and we don't care how the consumers will behave, but now it's really a one ecosystem. It's much more complex than we're used to. It's much more similar to what we know from the IT and internet, when everything is connected together. And this is definitely the challenge for such an industry like energy with a very long innovation cycle. This was mentioned here as well, that we uh, in the energy sector needs to innovate much faster. But this is definitely where the world is going. Much more complicated world, much more connected, but much more efficient, much more green, and uh, in a way of decarbonization. There was a lot discussed today. Is there anything else you want to mention? One interesting thing I saw was that how the energy companies need to change internally to face these challenges. And uh, an interesting comparison was uh, how they need to behave differently on different uh, stages of S-curve of development Mm -hmm. of the product. Because they are running the very traditional 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 products which and they have legacy
2: infrastructure that they have exactly, to work
0: with exactly which needs to, be, need to do very efficiently to try to find cost savings on the other side they need to face all these new challenges which require uh, investment into the innovations uh, which require for example investment in something which is not paying back immediately it's much more risky and, and it might be
2: still experimental they might not know the results Exactly.
0: It actually requires quite a lot of internal change in these organizations, which we're not used to, to do these things, but they have to now. So I just I can believe that as well, the companies acting in Central and Eastern Europe, where we are present, will see this and will adopt the approach because we cannot fall behind just because the things which we said. This is a trend, this is a way how to make the energy system more efficient, cheaper at the end for the customers. And we know how complicated it would be if the Central and Eastern Europe, for example, end up with a higher cost of the energy with how it could impact our industry, our competitiveness. So we believe that the energy companies in Central and Eastern Europe will be able to follow this change. I'm just not happy seeing that there are not so many of them here on this conference.
2: Chez is here from Czech Republic, some of the mole group from Hungary, and the uh, the Polish Electric Association is here.
0: Yeah, but not really the, the majors from the industry any. Can you see that there is a head of the NL, there are heads of the Latin Fall. Really important people being here on this conference, understanding the change. Well, fortunately, you're here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you can be
2: humble about your, your role in, in, we'll, in making we'll pass, that change
0: in Slovakia. We will pass the message, at least. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess this also touches on another one of the major points that was made, which is the importance of interconnections, cross-border grid connections and cross-border energy markets, which could mean that the changes that are being made in Scandinavia, Italy other places in Europe we're talking about today could also seep into Central and Eastern Europe.
0: Yeah, definitely it will. Uh, I think interconnection is a big topic. I don't know about it so much. Uh, At least what I understand, there is a strong push from the European Commission and from the Europe in general to harmonize this market and uh, to, for example, the customers in Holland to buy uh, flexibility services in France or in Portugal. And so therefore the local players need to be competitive back
2: to that s-curve just quickly because then there was a whole discussion about also attracting talent to work in these sectors and suddenly these you know traditional energy utilities are trying to compete with the savviest tech companies with all the beanbag chairs and foosball tables for this it talent which is just incredibly scarce
0: yes it is and it's a change of i think mentality and even company culture which is uh equally important to make a really effective change so it's not only about how we look on the cables and how we do the hard work, but uh, how we as well change the mentality and innovation in a company. If you look on the innovation cycle, how long it takes companies to innovate, and there was one interesting question regarding the amount of money which goes to innovations and new products, and comparing that, to, for example, in the energy sector, it's a 1%, but in a car industry, it's a 5% from revenues every year. And I think the answer is exactly in the speed of the innovation cycle, because if the energy sector was used to innovation cycle of 25 years, 25 years multiplied by 1% from revenues, of 25%, but uh, they need to spend the same 25%, but in a much shorter period of time, and this requires a change.
2: Yeah, no, very much. I mean, the head of NLX, you know, when he was speaking during his panel, he even said they basically created NLX because they needed to create a separate entity to be innovative and different so that that innovation was not crushed by the parent company, NL, which, you know, is funny. It's exactly the innovator's dilemma in that classic book. Yes, it is. All right, the 2019 Euroelectric Power Summit, signing off. Goodbye. So this is where the energy world is going, much more connected, much lower carbon, and much more complex. It also means many more opportunities across previously distinct industries. We weren't the only ones who saw a big role for electric vehicles in the future electricity system. Actually, it was very revealing how many panels they had about electric vehicles, bundled services, and consumer centrism. Truly, the days of the utility-generating electricity from whatever source it wants and selling it to nameless consumers who just accept it as is are over. There are now many, many more players in the energy ecosystem who need to be taken into account, and utilities will soon be selling services, not just kilowatts. Everyone at the Power Summit seemed to agree that electric vehicles, charging infrastructure, and the distributed energy storage capacity that they represent have a very large role to play in this new energy ecosystem, even though that role is still to be defined. That's our show for today. On the next Electric Avenue, we'll talk to another Electric Vehicle World CEO who we met at Florence, Pasquale Romano, CEO of ChargePoint, the largest electric vehicle infrastructure company in the world, so you won't want to miss that. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. The energy transition is going to take all of us educating our friends and families to what's going on. I mean, one of my friends just got a new job and now he has to drive to work, so I sent him a link to the show to share it for his commute. It's that simple. We're on all the podcast platforms, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, you name it, so you can find us wherever you find your podcast. You can also check out some of our previous episodes, which feature debates on the connection between electric vehicles and the energy system, from distribution tariffs, which is the prices that companies pay to connect to the grid and reserve power, to the role that charging infrastructure plays in serving as a bridge between batteries and the electric vehicles and the grid itself. There's a lot of great content there for you on this topic. I want to thank our production team of producers Katarina urban richterova and Oksana Ferenzova and our marketer, Julia Brzecova, who just made her podcast cameo on today's episode, in fact. And last but not least, thanks to you all out there for listening. Enjoy the summer and make sure to tune in to Electric Avenue again in two weeks' time for the ChargePoint interview. Until then, this is Aaron Fishbone wishing you many happy and safe electric kilometers on your summer EV road trips.